0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Spinning the Reel. I'm your host, Evan. And I'm your host, Zach. And we are back after uh, a little break, a I long guess. Hiatus. Yeah, long, long hiatus. Yeah, long hiatus. We can say we took a little break while Cody was in Japan, but guess who's not here? <laughs> no Cody today. No Cody today. Hopefully soon, uh, our common refrain. But we have an exciting show today, a little bit of a themed episode. We're going to be talking about some recent animation. So, uh, what are we going to get into today?
1: Yeah, uh, we're talking, I guess, the three biggest animated releases of the year. Um, Come on, sir. How dare you disparage the Mario movie? (laughs) Oh, I guess technically, (laughs) I guess that's probably bigger than all three of these that we're going to talk about. For now, at least. If you're just looking solely at box office and not uh, substance. But um, (laughs) yeah, okay, so we're talking uh, Ruby Gilman, Teenage Kraken, uh, Pixar's Elemental, and of course, Across the Spider-Verse.
0: Yeah, and so I think what's cool about this is we're getting, uh, I guess, three different animation studios here. We're getting uh, DreamWorks, in the case of Ruby Gilman, uh, unreleased, so maybe we won't get too much into spoilers when we get into that, but uh, it, it'll be coming out here in a week or so. Uh, we've got Elemental, which is Disney Pixar, and, and we've got Spider-Verse, which is Sony Pictures Animation. Uh, so we're going to be kind of touching on some different styles and different uh, perspectives here, so that's that's pretty cool. With that, let's dive in. All right, Zach, let's start with Elemental because it is like the most recently released of these pictures uh this is the latest pixar movie do you want to try and describe what elemental is about
1: yeah i mean as we record this it's still in theaters um it is the story of uh ember a a fire element person i guess you know yep. all these anthropomorphic elements uh, including air earth and water um uh, ember is the daughter of an immigrant fire family that has uh, immigrated to kind of like a i think it's s- called element city yeah it is called element city but it's kind of like a, a new york you know yeah a new york city um from their home and she's sort of trying to uh live up to her expectations of herself and what she assumes her parents expectations are of her mm-hmm. uh and she's poised to inherit her father's shop uh after he retires right uh, and then, of course, something goes wrong. Water is found in Element City when where it was supposed to be, or not Element City, but in Firetown where it was supposed to be shut off. Uh, and that brings the character, what, what's his name? Wade yeah. Ripple. Wade Ripple, <laughs> yeah. Uh, who is a water person um, and also a city inspector who finds several violations and threatens to shut down the shop. Uh, so,
0: But very nicely.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he's a very uh, in touch with his emotions kind of guy. Um but so, uh, Ember then has to go and uh, do everything she can to prevent the shop from being shut down, and uh, save what she perceives as her father's dream. Um, and uh, they get up to some some hijinks, and we learn about ourselves. And it's it, you know it's it's Pixar. It's touching.
0: Yeah, it is. It is. And I, I will point out that uh, this is by uh, director. I think Peter Soane is his name. Uh, same director as The Good Dinosaur. So unfortunate. I know. And it's... Neither of those movies, this one or The Good Dinosaur, are necessarily bad movies, but they're just not... I, this one, I guess I'll just come right out and say it, is it, doesn't live up to the Pixar sort of reputation to me. Like, I wouldn't say that it's necessarily like a Cars 2 level of like a, a mess or anything. I think it has elements, pun intended, that work, uh, but for me it just doesn't all come together it's i don't know what did you think
1: i i liked it i you know i uh it's funny that you opened the conversation that way because that's almost the sort of uh conversation i had the next day at work um i mentioned that i had, I had watched this and people were asking me like oh like how was it i'm like you know it was fine and then i was like but you know when you say something's fine and you're talking about pixar like that's still better than most average animated movies that yeah, come out in sure. a given year you know this will probably get a best picture nomination you know, i'm sure yeah. be- not best picture nomination but best animated feature yeah uh is this Pixar's on the-, the only
0: thing coming out this year no i think they have elio coming I think that's out that's next this year. year i think is it the- that late? yeah i think the previous said 2024 on that oh wow um. Then yeah, this might be their only release this year. All right, the lane's clear for a certain <laughs> other movie we're going to talk about in a minute. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, I could have sworn Elliot was this year, but I guess I guess not. Uh. But so yeah, I, I felt like I had to qualify it that way that I was like, you know, oh, I'm not saying it's bad. Like you should go see it if you like Pixar, if you're a fan of Pixar. Yeah. But uh, it's it's better than you know your average animated release this year, especially when most of the stuff we're getting is like. From streaming services, hiring some animation studio to make something to put on their platform right. to drain your kids' brains for a little while, you know, while you're doing something else. Um so I think it's still it's still good and it's a it's a story that, you know, has all the necessary parts, even if they don't necessarily resonate with everybody. And it's kind of like Pixar has become known for tugging at your heartstrings and, and telling this like emotional sort of story and i think maybe people are a little bit tired of that like it feels like they're just kind of trying to repeat their uh success in the same way and i think you know i think a little there's a little bit of that but the story is still different enough from something you know uh like their their last few releases for me at least that it I, I enjoyed it.
0: Yeah, I, I think it's it's a step above like a light year kind of thing. Oh, for sure. That's come out. But, you know, the movie that came out before that and one that I think we might reference in another segment is Turning Red. Mm-hmm. And the parallels with this one aren't as strong as when we're going to talk about maybe Ruby Gilman with that movie. But I think like Turning Red, if you look at both of them as like a first generation kind of immigrant story, Turning Red is one that is so specific and so like tuned into what it's trying to say that it feels much more universal than this one. And this one is trying to be more broad. Like you said Ember's family is uh, like a fire family from Fireland, I think is literally what it's called. Fire Island or something. Something (laughs) like that. And they they come to the city and it's kind of surprising how many like implied slurs there are in this movie. Like all the different elements have these like names that are offensive for other elements that they just call each other. And I'm just like, this is interesting. Not that that's at all what the point of this movie is, but I I think it's just trying to be so broad in the way that like, this movie reminded me a lot of Zootopia, like just broad in like, you know, what if elements were people and we made it in like a city for them kind of thing. And it's the same thing with Zootopia and animals kind of stereotypes about certain things and it's fine. Like, there's a lot of material to mine there. There's a lot of puns and jokes and, and things like that. But I don't think it really cuts to the core of, you know, Ember as a character, you know, dealing with this specific things that maybe a character like Malin goes through in, like a Turning Red kind of thing. And, and I think it's when Pixar really goes for it and digs into what they're going for that that's when it really like opens up to to people and and I, again i think this movie is is pretty good like wasn't i didn't walk out and think like man that was terrible i want you know my money back or anything like that but it was it's was just okay
1: you know yeah uh, the words of a privileged white guy from California. <laughs> so, Of course, the immigrant story is not gonna not, not gonna sure. resonate with you. No, but but uh, I mean, like something like turning red, guys. You know? Yeah, no, I am completely joking. I mean, uh, yeah, I I, I I can I can see that. Um, it doesn't feel as like what's the word? There is not as much, I don't know, actualization yeah. for me. Uh, I, I do think that if you are if you are one of these. First-generation immigrant children. This movie yeah. would probably, you know, resonate with you quite sure. a bit. Yeah. Um. But uh, yeah, I, I can I can see that, and I, I do think that some of that background stuff is a little distracting. Mm-hmm. Um, just like Zootopia, I think Zootopia is a, a very good uh, comparison here because yeah, some of that stuff is just a little bit <laughs> like that, like a little distracting. Yeah. I do think though that I I like I like Wade and Ember as, as yeah. characters. Um, and kind of like the a little bit of touches of like their sort of polar opposites, like emotionally, mm-hmm. and then they balance each other out and how, um, the way the characters are, are animated and it, it really reflects their like emotional state yeah. at that time. So it, the movie looks good. Um, it does. and there's, there's a lot of funny moments and gags, uh, and uh, Catherine O'Hara's
0: in this. Mm-hmm. She's great. Yep. <laughs> as as Wade's mom. Right. Hilarious. You like the fact that all of the, uh, what was it, the windball teams were named after farts? Farts, yeah. Yeah, solid. I, I will echo what you were saying about it looking good. And that's something that we're going to find a balance between the movies that we talk about. Like on one end of the spectrum is the Spider-Verse kind of revolutionizing the way that we look at, you know, hand-drawn and, and these different elements that come in. And Pixar has always been the studio that is pushing the cutting edge on uh, the 3D animated stuff. And every time they seem to find just a new way to bring in something different. And this movie is very, like, tactile in the way that the elements feel. You you feel a very textural difference when you Mm. see, like, Ember and, like, the flickering of her limbs and and face and things like that and wade's hair is kind of like flowing like water as he moves around and yeah like it it doesn't look like just kind of a stock you know computer animated thing like it does look like some heart and soul went into the character design and just each individual element kind of having their own identity in uh in the animation and that that was pretty cool to me
1: yeah, yeah, it, it does. It looks really good. Um, I w- I was a fan of of the animation. Uh, I think it, it the the movie is basically like a romantic comedy mm-hmm. in a way. Uh, the way that like you know they can't stand each other at first. Well, not that he's immediately you know into her basically, but she like can't stand him at first because right. she has these prejudi- uh, prejudices from uh, of you know, that she was raised with against water and fire don't mix and like water people suck basically. Yeah. Um I think I I think she's kind of uh, a, a manic pixie dream girl for Wade that right. I wasn't necessarily a
0: fan of. But I don't know, I I, I can forgive that. It's not too Too terrible. Yeah, and I think there's something going on with like it does really seem like she does want to take over her dad's shop. That is like her stated mission and something that she's really working towards. And then by the end of the movie, I guess spoilers, she is basically convinced by Wade and his family and the people around her that she should be making like glass and sculpting i thought that part was done well though and i I think it's it's a good concept about like following your dream but she never really seemed all that interested in doing it it's just like oh she's good at this she should go do it and kind of thing but it never really seemed like I, i don't know i feel like it was played out as like um a follow your passion kind of thing yeah when it never really felt like it was her passion it just kind of felt like something that she would do when the glass in the store broke or when you know, she needed to repair a, a pitcher or something like that. You know.
1: Yeah, I think I think the 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 glass making. Yeah, it's that, a little bit like um, they probably had that idea of like something that they needed in that spot. You know? Yeah. Like they needed that that element to fill, and they're like, okay, glass making makes sense. You know, you can use fire to make glass, basically, right. and it 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 is integral to the plot. Uh, but yeah, it does seem kind of like out of nowhere. Really, mm-hmm. what happens is she makes this beautiful vase that 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 got broken yeah um and then the entire the water family is like oh wow that's like super cool like and just just so happens that the mom works at a gallery and is like oh i know the best class guy in the city and i can put you sure. guys in touch um but the other half of that that you brought up that i think is probably like really good uh and done really well in this movie is i think you can kind of distill the message from mm-hmm. um, in a lot of pixar movies the theme to like one sentence and for this it would be like your your unhappiness is trying to tell you something like you're yeah and and in this case it's her anger uh because every time she's like forced to confront something that she doesn't want to confront about herself that's when she gets the most angry and then everything explodes and she doesn't have to deal with it it's more about it's more about having to deal with the consequences of the explosion itself than the thing that's causing it Mm -hmm. um and so I think that I think that is done really well, and I think that that, that that's a good message.
0: Yeah, I think so. Like, I, I do think that there are, and that's tough because again, like it's we, reminiscent yeah. of Inside Out, right? Yeah, you know? I think at, like like we said off the top, there is a certain expectation with Pixar that you are going to get this, you know, whole. The whole thing, you're going to get the whole package, the beautiful animation, the moving story, the the touching message, and it's going to be this cohesive thing. Like, if you go down the list of, you know, Pixar movies, there are a lot more that are closer to, you know, five out of five stars rather than, you know, like two and a half or three. Um, and I think this is one of those movies where it hits on some of those elements. Like we said, it looks beautiful. It touches on some of these ideas of like, you know, listen to your emotions kind of, kind of thing like you were just saying. But then there's other ways where it feels a little bit messier than Pixar generally can be. And I'm thinking of that in terms of, uh, and you made me think of it when you were talking about how Wade's mom kind of had a connection. And it's interesting because in that moment when she meets Wade's family, the story kind of goes from one of like uh, an allegory for race to an allegory for class. Yeah, And I think that those things are obviously intertwined in reality, but in terms of this movie, it really felt like they were shifting around what they were trying to say in terms of like what the metaphor that they're going for is. And it you have to be really detailed in that if you're going to kind of jump around with it and i just feel like they didn't quite cement exactly what the whole thing was trying to say even if some of the messages and in individual scenes and moments do work and the the relationship between those two characters as you brought up is i think a very strong one yeah yeah i agree with that okay so anything else to i mean where are we at with pixar these days are uh, i mean last thing they released i think was Lightyear, right yeah before I mean, this and turning, turning red, red obviously before that which was great mm-hmm. um i don't even was soul the last one before that too that sounds right and, and maybe luca before that so i mean I, pixar does seem like they're still on I'm a bit s- of a roll, even if the last two haven't been I'm trying to remember if luca strongest. was
1: before soul or if it was soul and then luca and then turning red i, I don't remember I mean, it sounds but right all those movies yeah.
0: in succession and i think they're all successful to varying degrees i mean Lightyear excluded
1: <laughs> yeah that's the only one of that list that i don't really care for like i don't even have interest in really watching it again yeah funnily peter peter Soane is the voice of uh, socks in that oh really yeah oh okay mm-hmm. i didn't know that um Best part of that movie yeah and he's also in monsters university he's the voice of uh squish or whatever that guy's name is i saw that movie one time <laughs> i like monsters <laughs> university um uh, but yeah, of, of that slate that you just listed off, I think Lightyear is the weakest and really the only weak one. Mm-hmm. Um, Soul and and Turning Red were both excellent. I'm a big fan of, of Luca. I really like that. Luca's a really good movie. Yeah
0: are uh, are we excited for Elio? I mean, the trailer played before uh, before this one, before Elemental.
1: Yeah, like, I trust Pixar. It looks mm-hmm. silly, you know. Uh, essentially, the the setup is that this kid gets abducted by aliens thinking then, that he is the ruler of earth yeah who then confuse him for for the ruler of earth yeah and he rolls with it otherwise because otherwise they would kill him or something or right
0: yeah yeah that, i mean it seems it does seem silly but i think a lot of times pixar movies seem kind of silly when they come out and then you know they end up being even something like um that's probably the silliest premise they've had in a while though i would say like I don't know. I think when, when Turning Red was announced and it was like, okay, a girl turns into a giant red panda anytime she gets mad, it was kind of silly. And it turned out to be really touching. Yeah, I guess movie, that is you true, know? especially
1: if you just think about the trailer, um, Yeah, mostly featuring like the red panda antics. Right. Um, not really anything about the...
0: The core of the story, the hard right, the movie. family dynamic, and mm-hmm. all of that, yeah. and, and I mean, I think even something like Onward, which I think is the last movie that released before the pandemic, like that movie has kind of an out there premise a little bit too, like being almost like a Dungeons and Dragons kind of that movie. That seems like right up Pixar's alley. though It does. That is, right? That's just like a modern
1: like fantasy, you know? Yeah. Uh, and it,
0: and it turned out to be, I think, a little bit more moving than people gave it credit for, maybe at the time.
1: Yeah, Onward's okay. Yeah, it's another one. I mean, I think I would put it slightly above Elemental, but that might just be preference for the setting and you know the story, like uh, in terms of. Uh, just, you're just a
0: big fan of Chris Pratt. It's okay. You onwards, can say it.
1: Onwards, more adventure forward than right. Elemental, but I like Elemental enough,
0: and yeah, I guess it's more of a genre difference, kind of. Yeah, exactly in, in that sense. Uh, any other thoughts on uh, Pixar? On you know on elemental
1: i think that uh i mean i feel like audiences are just tired honestly um and that's it It in what way the well we just i mean we talk i feel like we talk about this every podcast but just the modern like landscape of how films are uh, produced and consumed Mm -hmm. is creating these sort of trenches that like it's literally like if you if you're not in one of these areas your film is not going to be successful unless it's like a micro budget movie you know that costs nothing to produce like you know indie horror and indie indie film is in a little bit of a renaissance at you know at the lowest levels but mid-budget movies non-existent and so you have like these large blockbusters that are trying to get people in seats and if it's you're not one of five different kinds of movies then you're not going to be successful and
0: pixar is, is in that is one of those groups that can release a movie that people will see and even then elemental seems to have kind of underperformed a little bit in the opening weekend it was a huge flop. yeah i mm-hmm. mean and you know part of that is has to do i'm sure with timing like if you i mean if you look at any of the movie theaters around you right now there are two movies in the the kind of similar space i mean just in terms of animation and maybe geared towards like families being able to go see them. You've got across the Spider-Verse and even this new uh Super Mario Brothers movie is playing uh in most theaters still. Still? It is. Yeah, you can you can check. I think it's even playing across the street from is us here. The Little Mermaid still running? The Little Mermaid is running, so there's a lot of competition for that space yeah. and a lot of I think maybe more exciting options even though this is a Pixar, you know, like, I
1: do think too that this was a little bit under-marketed. Right. You know, as much as I or you or I go to the movies like I've hardly seen an
0: elemental trailer yeah they started advertising it so early too that I think it's just kind of I mostly remember
1: like the announcement and the teaser Mm -hmm. uh, but leading up to to the release nothing not even on like Disney Plus you know right they can have a huge banner saying like hey you know uh, this movie's coming out or even like I, I'm I'm surprised they're not doing anything that's like uh, pre sort of supplementary material. You know, mm-hmm. like if you if you have a streaming service and you have a movie coming out, make some little some shorts sort of tie in, yeah. Like, yeah, or like featurettes or something. You know, what would essentially be bonus features on a DVD, maybe, and you can put those out first mm-hmm. that aren't going to give away plot details or anything like that. But just that. get to
0: know some of the characters or some of the setting, even.
1: Yeah, exactly. Or just, you know, some maybe more cheaply produced animated shorts. Right. Because uh, there, there's a ton of that stuff uh, for other like Pixar established IPs. Like there's a ton of like Toy Story shorts and other stuff that you know i'm surprised they they haven't done anything to do more of a push it's this one really seems under marketed
0: yeah i i could see that uh that reminded me of one thing that we didn't talk about either did you see the short before carl's date yeah i did not like it no didn't seem very out of character for that for that character to i agree like go we, that we date. yeah see that you right <laughs> it's just it's
1: just disturbing <laughs> yeah now we have to think about that when the end of up is basically perfect right you know uh, they got, they did the mission. He's got his family that yeah, he's, they, he's found. They uh, got the house to the falls, you know, in, in honor of Ellie and they get home safe and, you know, uh, Carl's a father figure and they have Doug. Everything's good. That's it. We yeah. Didn't, we didn't need any more of that. You know,
0: I wonder if it's just cause it was Ed Asner, right. That played, uh, that played Carl. Yeah. I think that he got credited in the short mm-hmm. as well. So, I wonder if they just had been working on different things with him and just had some of the audio and they're like, well, We gotta get something out with with him while we've got the recording. I don't know. But unfortunate. It it was uh, it was indeed. What uh, what do you think? Why don't we round it up? Uh yeah, sure. Um uh, three stars out of five. Okay, I Elemental. don't have it in front of me. It's been a minute, but I, I think I, gave it two and a half. I think I gave it two and a half too. Yeah. All right, Zach, let's move on to a movie that will be coming out here very shortly. We watched it as part of the Regal Mystery Movie uh, program. Uh, that movie is Ruby Gilman uh, Teenage Kraken. So I'll, I'll take a crack at this one, if you will. Uh, this is about a teenage girl. She is a kraken. They live in a town called Oceanside, um, basically by the sea, but she is forbidden from going into the water by her parents because – As we will learn in the film, if she goes into the water, she turns into a giant kraken, and everyone will fear her as a monster. Uh, She's going to school. She has friends. uh, She feels like an outcast and and a loner because she's basically not allowed to go to any of these events that have anything to do with the water or anything nearby. Um, Also, she's blue. Uh, And they tell people that it's because they're from Canada, which I thought was actually a pretty funny (laughs) joke. Um, But yeah, it's it's basically just sort of uh, about this girl who feels like an outcast in her home and uh, is kind of yearning for something more. And the story kind of gets into, I don't know, the intricacies of different sea creatures and uh, and how they interact with uh, each other in the world.
1: Yeah, it's funny. I don't know if outcast would be the first word I would use to describe Ruby. Like, um, she definitely feels left out mm-hmm. uh, of, like, a lot of modern teen experiences. You know, the 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 one she's chasing after in this movie is prom. Yep. Um, she wants to go to the prom. But the prom is on a boat on the water which is why her her mother doesn't want her to go because she's afraid that something that's a good could point. Yes, prom
0: port. does feature prominently in this film. And but she
1: has a core group of friends and she doesn't seem unpopular. In fact, she's his math tutor for like a popular kid, mm-hmm. but he respects her. Yeah,
0: like it's very clear that they are both interested in each other from the beginning. It's not like she's pining after somebody more popular that isn't interested back.
1: Yeah. So, and no one's like other than the weird pirate man um who calls her out for crossing the street uh no one at no one at school i, I can't remember her,
0: like I, picking on her there's or some no they don't pick on her necessarily but there are some like allusions to things that have happened in the past like her friends bringing up all the different times she wasn't allowed to go do this or that they had to like stay in because she couldn't go do these things and i guess yeah. you're right maybe she's not an outcast maybe she's not being like necessarily bullied but she definitely is different and feels different from everyone else and so in that sense she is to some degree outside of the experience maybe as you described but regardless of that what did you think of uh of ruby Gilman?
1: overall i thought a you know positive impression um a lot of stuff i liked a lot of uh a lot of it was pretty funny um i think that mostly comes down to the to the extraordinary voice cast like mm-hmm. a lot
0: of yeah good good voice cast
1: excellent uh voice actors in this one um we got sam richardson will Tony forte Ouellette, yeah will forte uh Who
0: the, was jane fonda was it jane fonda yeah jane fonda's yeah. The, grandma. the grandma Annie murphy
1: i think is the annie murphy not eddie if you if you heard that <laughs> eddie, but annie murphy has um the mermaid uh I don't know, oh that's star. right right she was um, the mermaid coleman domingo yeah played the dad. dad yeah i'm trying to remember if there's anyone else anyone else that uh has a, has a prominent
0: role but i think that's really it yeah pretty stacked very recognizable i think throughout the movie we're kind of just like hey is that that's that person yeah you know like yeah. here and there a, a surprising number of people from i think you should leave <laughs> uh, sketches so that's uh, that's always a treat i So kind of calling back to something we just talked about with elemental and sort of audiences being tired and we've, I don't know if this, I'd say it's a theme that we've discussed really on this season um, or just something we've we've mentioned a couple of times, but I have found more this year uh, and maybe it's just because things are ramping back up from the pandemic. There are more studio movies out that people are going to see in theaters but i have found more than i think at any point in the last like you know five or six years that we've been doing this that i've been going to these movies and finding people so distracted while the movies are are going on like unable to focus for long stretches on what's happening in the movie and this ruby gilman feels like almost a reaction to that kind of an audience like there is so much going on in every scene of this movie uh, for better or worse, there's all sort of visual information being thrown at you in every direction. There are jokes coming at you fast and furious. And, and I think a lot of them land, which is great. But it just, the way it is animated and the way we jump from plot point to plot point so quickly, um, all the visual quirks of the ocean and a lot of montages, a lot of pop songs of that kind of jump in. And for me, I just see that and I'm like, man, this this is a movie made for, like, TikTok, you know? Like, for having new information constantly in your face. And I'm not saying that's necessarily a bad thing, but it is a very overwhelming experience. Not not to go all old man yells at Cloud about it, but I, I did feel like there was just a uh, an overload, an attention overload kind of thing going on with this movie.
1: Yeah, I think, and the, the movie does suffer for it. Um, I hadn't really thought about it like that, but I don't think you're necessarily wrong. Uh, it is definitely a very busy movie, um, visually and, uh, how it's paced. Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of things happen that aren't necessarily like, uh, there's no like setup to it. A character just tells Ruby, Hey, it should be like this or, you know, or you have to do this next. And then she's like, okay. And just does it right, or you know, right. There's a small, a small setback pushes her in the, in the opposite direction or something. So it's, it's very much like plot focused in in that sense. That it's just one thing after another. Like, exactly let's get like to each story beat. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I think it does suffer for it. I had the same kind of feeling even with something that is probably a much better movie, uh, but like Mitchell's versus the machines, right? Mm-hmm. That's a very busy it is a busy movie in terms of how it's animated i think the the emotional connections between the characters and how those things are set up and paid off there a lot is a lot better in that movie but at least visually speaking i feel like it was over animated in a sense yeah, um, there are
0: moments in that movie where there is sort of just like the whole background becomes like this kind of dreamscape sort of thing, and I, I do think that that movie picks it, even just it spots like, a little better. But yes,
1: but even or even just like wall breaks, right? Like they mm-hmm. they when he does the the like family special move, it like cuts and then says like, "Oh, family special move," whatever. right. Or we they tell the story of like the last time he was on a donkey or something. I can't remember that what that story. Something was. like that, yeah. And it goes to like this pop up style of animation to tell that story. Right. In between and, and yeah, so there's just a lot of things like that in that movie.
0: But um And I think Elemental even, like we talked about, has moments of this too, where it's just kind of throwing colour at you in moments. I think it's it's a lot more subtle than something like Ruby Gilman, but I do think that there is more than i've noticed before and, and more than you know and maybe that's just my ignorance or my noticing of something like this uh now but it does seem like there is just more being thrown at the screen at this point just attention grabbing kind of things mm-hmm. and it's not necessarily i wouldn't say
1: it's not given any thoughts but it's not done in a way that everything enhances what's happening, you know, in terms of emotionally or thematically. Um, it's just, it's just a filler in a sense, you know? Yeah. I mean, not to, not to say that I'm not trying to like disparage the the hard work of these animators, you know, Mm -hmm. but yeah, I, I, I I agree a little bit with what you're saying. I don't think it's, it stood out to me as much maybe because my brain is that way now, but, uh, definitely thinking back on it that that does exist
0: yeah I, I noticed a, a bit of it in the movie but I think in addition like you said a lot of things just kind of happen in this movie uh, it, it kind of I just don't feel like it that the connection is there from start to finish of like who Ruby is and who she ends up at the end and like what the bridge that is gapped or, or the, the gap that is bridged there um, Just sort of, sort of looking at the different characters. Like there isn't a whole lot different, except she's kind of, I don't know, brave enough to go face an uncertain future, go like do these things. There's really more growth, maybe for her mom, and learning to like let let her let go a little. But the movie's not really about her, Mm -mm. so it's it's very. I don't know. I think the first, I don't know, thirty minutes or so, right
1: right until uh or maybe it's the first like almost 40 minutes um right until she goes back into the water the second time Mm -hmm. so what happens is uh you know you're introduced to ruby she does this little montage and is you know tells you about herself uh and explains her high school and like her whole world basically and then the only rule she has really is don't go in the water Mm -hmm. um but her crush, Connor, is, uh... She, she wants to ask him to prom and is co- encouraged and convinced by her friends to try and do this big... Uh, promposal big, thing. Yeah, big yeah. promposal gesture uh, involving a confetti cannon, which uh, goes wrong and knocks him into the water in a state of unconsciousness, and there's no one else around. The, the emergency, like, life-saving device it fails, and so... Um, she's forced to go into the water to save him, you know, to, to save his life. And so she does. And I think all of that is, is really good characterization and, and Mm -hmm. uh, a great introduction for Ruby. And then how she, how she reacts after she saves his life, um, how the public reacts. And that's where we meet, you know, the villain at the same time too, who gets credit for the rescue. And she becomes a giant Kraken and is like, has to go hide and cause a little bit of terror Yeah. Uh, Throughout Oceanside. um, And then has a really nice moment with her mom, who, you know, was hiding this big thing from her for her whole life. Uh, All of that is great. And then you have Uncle Sam Richardson come in the picture and is this goofy guy. All that's good. And then uh, she decides to go against her mother's wishes and go back into the ocean um, to meet her grandmother, who is going to tell her the whole truth about all this cracking stuff. From that moment. Ruby is just bouncing from one thing to just the next. task to but, task MacGuffin to MacGuffin. Yeah exactly that, yeah. yeah like her grandmother agrees to train her about being a kraken and then you know uh, she becomes friends with, with the villain the, the mermaid. Right and,
0: and to, to very little end too I guess mm-hmm. I, I would say like there isn't really there isn't really a goal that she has been working for other than she wants to go to prom. And yeah. and that is really kind of sidelined by this new world that's opened up to her, understandably so.
1: It's but, kind of funny, too, because yeah. the reaction to um, her crackiness by the public and even her friends is very very negative yes they're terrified of her and they want to hunt her essentially and and without knowing it's her yeah kill the beast and then the moment that we find that everyone finds out that it's her and this huge confrontation at the end of the movie where it's like a giant mermaid versus these giant kraken uh as soon as they hear that it's ruby everyone's like oh it's ruby it's cool now yeah (laughs) great yeah Yeah, it's really funny, and then... Even the guy who spent his life dedicated to hunting Krakens is just like, all right, it's cool, you know,
0: I got a mermaid instead, we're good here. and I think that it's, it's really interesting in that none of the characters really do have, like, any of them, right? You would think that there might be something from the grandmother learning to, you know, kind of respect the human people and the human world a little bit. You might think that uh, maybe there would be some amount of complication with the with the Mermaid character, but it just is, you know, like it's just this straight, you know, villain and hero kind of thing by the end. And I think that where this movie had some chances, I don't want to get into too specifically some of like the things that happen and the way that they interact with each other, obviously because this movie hasn't released wide yet, but there are so many chances they could have taken or... More interesting avenues they could have gone with uh with characters down, and they just kind of choose the the simplest path being like all right, well you know exactly what you thought about this character is exactly how it is, and that's just kind mm-hmm. of that,
1: yeah, and the use of uh Narissa here as the the mermaid mm-hmm. is hundred percent an excuse just to like make
0: digs at Ariel <laughs> like, right. You know?
1: <laughs> and yeah no just...
0: accident that this came out a couple or like a month after the little mermaid
1: yeah, it's really silly um
0: I don't know how much more I have to say about it I, I don't really either uh, I do think it's interesting just the the idea that we got a mystery movie like that was a big animated studio release that they've been advertising a lot you know these things have generally been either like a streamer movie or something that is like so small that it wasn't even going to get a wide release in theaters regardless and this was the first one to me that felt like oh wow we're seeing like an actual studio movie that's going to get out into theaters in a few weeks and, and we're seeing it early and I think that's uh, maybe either indicative of the quality or the expectations that uh, that Sony has I guess not Sony it's DreamWorks has for this movie um but still interesting because i do think this is a movie that will play everywhere for at least a few weeks
1: yeah i'd it's be it'd be really interesting to get a little bit of like inside baseball and how this is working out for regal and and the studios that they've partnered with yeah um because there's not a movie a mystery movie i've been to that isn't basically sold out mm-hmm. um in the theater that i went and in even in one case the one time that i, I went where Uh, it wasn't super crowded was because the showing that I booked was the overflow so yeah the initial one was completely booked up and then the second one you know was about 50% full yeah I
0: think paint sold out and then they had an overflow showing of that this one was pretty much sold out and I don't think they opened up overflows for this movie and I wonder if that was by design by request of the studios like all right you can show it early but we're not going to do you know multiple screenings and yeah and that's what theaters. i that's what
1: i find interesting is because at a five dollar price point and throw in like if you're a regal crown club member um which is like the free membership rewards you mm-hmm. know like when you sign up at the grocery store or something you know right everybody has a rewards program these days but that's a free level if you're a regal crown club member and you buy a mystery movie um a ticket you get a seven dollar combo which is like a 50 percent discount on a, a small popcorn and a small drink yeah uh and so I think at that price point, like people are showing up for it and they don't even necessarily care what movie it is. They're just going because they want to go to the movies and uh, it's accessible at, at that level, right. you know, um, to do that. And so I'm curious if it's how, how it's worked out. If, if uh, I mean, as far as promotion, it looks successful from the outside, but right. whatever deal they've worked out in terms of, you know, who gets what percent of the profits. Yeah. Et cetera, like I wonder if, the success of this program is going to mean that more movies are going to be released uh, in a format like this, or even just at like a discounted ticket kind of thing. Like,
0: right. You know what I mean? Like a dynamic pricing kind of thing, or maybe just like, you know? Yeah. And I wonder how much in a non
1: mystery format, right? Like, Hey,
0: come watch this
1: movie early for five bucks.
0: I, and I think there is an element to it that is the mystery, you know, like people do like to feel like they're getting in on something early and and i don't know maybe if they knew that it was going to be something they'd seen a trailer for that they didn't want to see they wouldn't show up but i feel like people kind of figure out what the movie is going to be beforehand almost every time but yeah it'll be interesting to see sort of how this movie does instead of some of the other ones because i think the biggest opening of any of the regal mystery movies previously was missing um Mm. which was the searching kind of spinoff sequel yeah yeah uh and and Again, a movie that I don't know that it had super high expectations. It did kind of play most theaters, I think, not for very long. Uh, But I imagine that this is going to be a movie that will attract some amount of audience in the opening weekend uh, in a week or so here. And I'm interested to see sort of what becomes of that. Uh, You want to round it up? Uh, Yeah, sure. Um, Three stars again. I think I gave this one two, if I remember right. It it was uh, the overload of it all was was a bit much for me Mm, yeah yeah it's
1: completely inoffensive i think
0: yeah Um, i agree like you said fun voice cast
1: yeah i I probably could be convinced to drop it to two and a half but it was just fine you know right three seems okay
0: Let's close things out with uh, what is, I think, still the number one movie in the country right now, which is uh, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. It's not The Flash? I don't think... It could be The Flash. I don't know, man. <laughs> Dude, oh Didn't that movie bomb too? Everything. and Nothing is a hit these days. Well, nothing is a hit except Thanks. for Across the Spider-Verse. And Super Mario. And Super Mario. <laughs> uh, do you want to describe the plot of this or Super Mario again if you want? You can.
1: Uh yeah, across the fire uh, across the Spider Verse, the follow up to I think it's 2018 or 2019s. Uh, no, that that was
0: 2018, I think.
1: Um, into the Spider Verse, which of course uh, introduced us to Miles Morales on the big screen. Um, this is the sequel to that, uh, and it follows the story, kind of. M- more of Gwen, I want to say. Like, yeah. Gwen is a big character in this, um, even more than than the first movie. Uh, essentially, the events of the first movie, in which a multiversal um, anomaly collider, yeah. Uh, well,
0: so the but, but whatever, yes, go yeah. On. So Sorry.
1: essentially, there were some events in the first movie, uh, you know, in a science experiment kind of gone haywire that opened up. Uh, like uh, destabilize the multiverse is, is the, probably the best way to explain it, um, and one character, uh, Miguel O'Hara, Spider Man Twenty is has taken upon himself and created this sort of Spider Man Society to clean up the multiverse, um, and through that, Gwen becomes part of that society. And we have Miles, who has sort of been on his own since the events of, of mm-hmm. the first
0: movie. Um, and it's and been a, a couple years or something, right? It's not like an immediate ap- aftermath? It's probably been like a year and a half
1: yeah, um, since, the, since the events of the first movie. Uh, but so Miles is alone in his own universe, the only Spider-Man. Uh, and there's all this kind of stuff happening in the multiverse. Um, and the Spider-Society is, is making sure that these anomalies don't get out of hand. Uh, Miles is doing his normal Spider-Man stuff and runs into a villain called The Spot, um, (laughs) wonderfully played by Jason (laughs) Schwartzman, and um, who he presumes is a low-level villain because he's rather inexperienced and not intimidating.
0: He's kind of Um, bumbling a little bit, yeah.
1: But unbeknownst to Miles is is actually a product of the same... Multi dimensional like rift that he is because the spider that bit him is not from his dimension. Uh, there's a very long plot. I'm mean, basically right. this is a synopsis at this point, but anyway, yeah, the villain of the spot becomes this multi dimensional threat, g- g- gaining the attention of the spider society, it to Miles' universe, and then he gets to seek Gwen again and gets pulled into this uh, this situation. world of spider people, yeah, yeah, and and the threat that is the spot to the to the multiverse. Um, that's like, I guess the basic setup of the, of the movie is, um, Gwen becomes an outcast in her own universe, joins the spider society and sees Miles again, and then accidentally drags him into this multiversal level threat, uh, of which he is not ready for. Um, and, uh, this is technically, when this movie was announced, it was announced as a part one, uh, and it very much is that. The, uh, the
0: movie ends on a cliffhanger. Yes. It does. Yeah. Like th- this, There's not a resolution completely to the events of this story.
1: Yeah, no, not yet. We'll have to wait until I believe the last one is called... Um,
0: Beyond the Spider-Verse, I want to say.
1: right, yeah, Beyond the Spider-Verse. Yeah, so this is very much like an Empire Strikes Back installment yeah. um, in in the Spider-Verse trilogy. Uh. I think that's that's as basic as you can get about the plot explaining the, the basic yeah. elements of it without explaining uh, the whole movie. I
0: think there's a couple things I might add that's not necessarily just like plot, but mm-hmm. that gets into sort of what the movie is trying to say and do uh, with these characters. And I think one of the important things to point out is that the Spider Society that has been set up by Miguel O'Hara, part of their core mission is to ensure that in all of these other dimensions that the Peter Parker or the you know whoever the spider person in that um that universe is goes through their tragic loss that makes them into the hero that they become they they lose their uncle ben that they lose yeah. whoever the person is that they're supposed to lose to create it, it I think they have a name for it it's like a That's, they're called canon events canon events yeah uh, and as part of what happens in this movie it's revealed that Miles is was not supposed to be spider-man that kind of running counter to all of what the first movie was trying to say as in anyone can wear the mask anyone can be spider-man as long as you know you have a good heart and you are you know willing to do what's right and and put yourself at risk like you can be spider-man like you can be the hero of this story this movie is is a rebuttal to that in a way like a, a literal rebuttal in that characters are telling him that, no, you can't, you are not supposed to be Spider-Man, that that is not the way this was supposed to work. Um, but that like you thematically, that kind of translates to you write your own destiny. There's no one that can tell you that there is a certain way things were supposed to go. And I think that is an important piece to like keep in mind with what this movie is going for.
1: Yeah. That really sums up basically the theme of the, of the movie um, is, yeah, what what the message was of the first one is that anyone can be Spider Man, and that's sort of what's universally like beloved about the character in general is that even when when the character was being designed by by Stan Lee, uh, and uh, Steve Ditko, that it could be anyone under the mask. Like anyone could relate to this hero because mm-hmm. we all have stuff you know that we're going through and uh, and responsibilities and tragedies in our lives, and yeah, and so. In this movie, um, it, it, it it is the position of some of these Spider-Men, not all of them, but yep. some of them, that that the universe is set in one way and that it, it has to be that way. Uh, and it really just presents this kind of trolley problem of like, you know, what's one life worth against all these other lives? Right. Um, and... Miles' position is that, like, you know, you ha- if you have the ability to save a person,
0: like, you should try to save them. Yeah. Um, and I think that complicates the story in an interesting way for Gwen as well, because as she kind of is, comes into the spider society and thinks that she is doing, like, the just thing, like, she pi- kind of buys into the mission at first, that, like, Miles coming in in that perspective of, like, you know, seeing sort of the way that, that things are handled kind of gets her back on the other side of things as well like i think that there is an interesting dynamic for all the characters yeah she kind of
1: blames herself by the end too because it is sort of her fault Mm -hmm. um, in that miles gets involved she wasn't supposed to to talk to him when she visited his universe but she did because she cares about him right um uh, the thing is that that is a big reveal at the end. Uh, there's a big confrontation between Miguel and Miles, uh, essentially because of, of exactly what he said, that Miles was never supposed to be Spider-Man in his universe. The spider that bit him came from another dimension where someone else was supposed to become Spider-Man, but they didn't because the spider disappeared. Right. Um, but until this point, until Miles gets pulled into this situation... The Spider Society's position was one of passivity in mm-hmm. the sense of Miles; like they weren't antagonistic towards him, or sure. trying to snuff him out, or even saw him as a as a threat. Right. Uh, which these other anomalies that they that they're dealing with uh, really are, because mm-hmm. they're mostly you know different villains or you know large catastrophic events. Um, but they they were really just hands off with Miles. He was just chilling in his own universe, um, and then it just so happens that because of him. Uh, this
0: new threat gets un- unleashed. Yeah, yeah. Uh,
1: s- Spot is, mm-hmm. is created because of him because the the accident with that machine uh, transformed him into this like multi dimensional figure and then because he is a a person who was living a normal life as a scientist um, had essentially everything ripped away from him. You know he lost his in- his entire life. A- anyone yeah. that ever meant anything to him uh and you know he has white skin like pale white skin Mm -hmm. ghostly white skin with these black dots you know they make fun of him they call him a dalmatian or like a cow at different points uh but he's got literally nothing and miles rather than having sympathy or taking pity on him uh antagonizes him sure uh and calls him you know a villain of the week and so that in Inspires him to like be like become stronger and mm-hmm. you know more something bo- a more sure worthy villain because what else does he have you know like yeah. he, can, he just wants to be uh, he is he trying to, to challenge for, yeah, yeah yeah challenge Spider Man and like he literally has nothing better to do with his time uh, which is why he became a criminal in the first place because he can't get a job he can't right. live a normal life he's become completely ostracized and uh. And so that is a, a, that is an actual threat, which is not what the Spider Society perceived Miles as. But then he gets pulled in because of the spot and then mm-hmm. because of Gwen. Uh, and that's what kind of forces the the Spider Society's hand and like Miguel to try and trap him from going back to his own universe um, and starting this confrontation with all of them. Uh, we're talking a lot about uh, sort of the, the theme of this and some oh, yeah. more of the plot elements. But I just want to say like this movie is incredible. It's very um, good, yeah. The first movie of Into the Spider-Verse was also really really good. Where uh, do you
0: fall on the like w- preference between the two?
1: Um I think I like this one better just because I like Miguel. Like I yeah. mean I'm a big Oscar Isaac fan already sure. and then the character of Miguel is is really interesting to me. He's like one of these tragic figures that that really a- appeals to me. Um, mm-hmm. very much like a uh, like a Louvin Davis type, or you know, um, someone who's li- like like uh like Theo from from Children of Men, who's like become jaded, uh, yep. because they lost something that was important to them, and but they still feel this sense of, of responsibility, like duty. Yeah. yeah. And even though you know, it's it's not hard to imagine both sides having some validity to their argument, mm-hmm. uh, in the sense of like it's it's a trolley problem, right? Like y- y- do you right, risk? Sure. Do you risk the multiverse for one life? The the where he where he crosses into like the villain threshold is the way that he like almost has this prejudice against Miles because he's he believes he's not supposed to be Spider Man. He yeah. you know, and he threatened he's threatening the multiverse. But there's something personal there that I think we're gonna learn about more and sure. beyond the Spider Verse about some maybe some more of his past. But he's really very ruthless. Yeah, uh, when it comes to miles and essentially telling him you know that he doesn't he not only is he not spider-man but he doesn't deserve to be and that he's you know he's nothing he he is a mistake mm-hmm. and that if you know he didn't exist then none of these other problems that miguel has would
0: exist either so he's right. really pinning it's pretty it all pretty on harsh him. yeah <laughs> yeah i granted i've only seen the movie once mm-hmm. and i think that into the spider verse although i loved it the first time i saw it really has grown on me across multiple viewings as well there's so many elements and so much depth to that movie um i do think that just by personal preference like a part one part two sort of structure to me really it just bothers me like i like my movies to have some resolution to it and again i know this movie doesn't like leave all of its threads completely you know uh, Frayed or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, no, pretty much every
1: every character, or well, at least Miles and Gwen, who are the main characters of this right. movie, have story arcs in the film that are completed by the end of the runtime. Yeah,
0: I, and I just I think that you know this is a, clearly a story that is attempting to be told across two films, in in a way that obviously the first movie was much more self contained, uh, and I think that's just maybe a personal preference. I want to see the movie again before really getting into like all of that but for now I, I lean more on Into the Spider-Verse than Across the Spider-Verse mm-hmm.
1: but I mean well they did drop the part 1 right yeah. and it is just it's just Across the Spider-Verse it is it's a sta- it's a standalone movie it doesn't end in a clipping it's very much like I said like an Empire Strikes Back type yeah. of thing where it, you know you could easily imagine a new a different edit where instead of meeting you know uh alternate universe, Earth, Earth 42 Miles as the mm-hmm. prowler at the end of the movie um, that gets relegated to a post-credit scene, and the movie ends with him just like making it, uh, you know, uh, making it back home or something, or or, or sure. to Earth forty-two, and everything seems like it's okay or, or something like that. Like, right? There's there there could be another uh, another way to end the movie, and then yeah, the, this twist, this cliffhanger is is the is the post-credit scene. Um, because yeah, I think you know it's it's very much that that style of movie where.
0: There is a cliffhanger, yes, but it does. Right, Miles and Gwen it, both it does get their resolve own story things. arcs. Yeah, yeah. I I think I do want to go in a slightly different direction here. Want to talk about the animation again? Because I mean, it's hard to talk about either of these Spider Verse movies without sort of talking about the impact of the animation on just sort of the broader like landscape throughout all of this, right? We got into the Spider Verse, and it sort of. I don't. I mean, revolutionize seems like a strong word, but there are so many movies coming out now that are emulating what Spider Verse, Into the Spider Verse, tried to do. Yeah, and you don't, you don't get uh, Puss in Boots: The Last Wish looking the way that it does Absolutely without yeah. Into the Spider Verse, and this new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie that's coming out seems pretty heavily inspired uh, visually by that as well. Um,
1: and then, I mean, even Lord and Miller's follow up mitchell's versus machines right that we talked about
0: too has heavy yeah absolutely and i was thinking about this during the movie after the movie the whole thing well all these other studios were going around figuring out how can we make our spider-verse like how can we make a movie that looks like this or has that kind of imprint of animation that way Mm -hmm. like even disney if you've seen the trailers for their new movie wish that's coming out i mean we've talked about wish we've made all the jokes, but that movie has, like, its own style to it, different from recent Disney animation. And I think that while all these other studios were trying to play catch-up, like, the Spider-Verse series and Sony Pictures was just like, we're just going to level this thing up times ten. You know, like, the, this movie looks incredible. The, uh, the animation and the different blending of styles, even just from scene to scene, is... Even more than in the first movie, like it it is a really impressive visual feast of a film.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, the the novelty of the first one was they mixed like hand drawn animation with computer animation, and they were animating on different frames uh, to give Miles like a distinct look, and then also to show his sort of like desynchronization with the other Spider characters Mm -hmm. until he finally becomes Spider Man in his own mind, and then is is animated on the same frames that they are this movie does take that to a completely new level i mean we have characters who are from different dimensions that are animated differently right we see like a lego dimension that's like stop motion yep that was very Um, fun this old like da vinci style uh, renaissance illustration kind of thing with the vulture yeah that was pretty cool too and then of course like we get some live action people in there but you know i think hobie is the one that everyone is really super hyped about mm-hmm. dan Kalua is great uh, voice
0: performance by daniel Kalua yeah too. Dude, like and, I, you don't and, see and him do a ton of comedy work but like he's very funny in the movie too yeah
1: and uh he's just got that like quick like london you know kind of speak and uh he's just cool a cool character and then the way that he's animated he's he's uh, hobie brown is, is spider punk so he's like animated in this very like choppy style yeah and it's really cool to see like you know some of the animators and and uh the creatives behind this like discussing how they did that and how there was like you know each part of him is animated in in a different uh uh on a a different frame so his jack is like always offset and his guitar is like always different from like how his body's moving and Mm -hmm. just really super cool stuff yeah and and you can
0: tell why it took like five years for them to to put all of this together yeah. and it was worth the wait because you, you're getting and not only the animation too, craft. but
1: just like even the backgrounds and like some of the color palettes, like mm-hmm. the way a, a, particularly when we're spending time with Gwen, the colors of her world reflects, you know, her internal state at the time and like when things are in balance and when they're not and when she's confident and when she's not a really, really just beautifully done. So yeah. good. You know? I
0: read a story that, uh, like a main uh, hub of the animation team that was doing this was based out of uh, Canada, based out of, I think, Toronto, maybe. Mm. And uh, that they actually, like, basically asked to design a character and they designed this hockey jersey-wearing spider woman oh, yeah. from yeah. Canada. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, like, Lord and Miller kind of signed off on it. and But because most of, like, the assembly team for, like, the final uh, cut of the movie was based out of Canada, they just kept slipping the the spider Canada character Mm -hmm. into the background of like a lot of different scenes. That's funny. And I think like Lord and Miller were saying in in an interview or something like they, they were like, this is going to be unwatchable. We're going to like, every (laughs) they're going to be in every scene. There's going to be continuity errors. Like it was just a funny thing, but like the passion that goes into this, I think that speaks to that as well. Like everybody kind of brought a little bit of themselves into this movie and it feels more, even though it is, sony pictures animation and it's a you know big studio sort of thing it does feel like it has that sort of independent spirit of like you know all the voices contributing or involved and very collaborative thing it feels like it's a movie that is trying to you know be open to everybody in a way that the first one was too and i think that it's uh there's a reason that people have kind of attached themselves to these movies and that they have been really drawn to this in a way that maybe they haven't been for some of these other kind of projects that have come out. Um, even that have like IP appeal. Uh, I, I think it's just, it speaks to the, to the craft and the, uh, and the work that went into these.
1: Yeah. There's really just so much care that goes into it on every level. Um, not only like the production design and the animation but for the characters themselves and and the story uh it it's really it's a masterpiece honestly Mm -hmm. um and it is sort of kind of breaking that that ceiling of like oh animation is is just for kids right like that's something that's that sort of plagued animators um, and that medium for a long time. That it, it's something that's like childish, mm-hmm. and of course there is elements that are in this movie and that are silly, but right, really like as much as with the Spider-Man character itself, anyone can can get something out of this and and absolutely and enjoy it. And uh, it's just an an incredible story on its own, and then you
0: just add all of that that stuff on top of it is, is just makes it that much better. Yeah. I'm excited for the for the next one. I mean, it's... Yeah, and it's
1: not too far away. I mean, I think they've been working on them in tandem, so I think the release date's like in March of 2024. That's what so, they're saying. Um,
0: yeah. We'll see. I know this one got pushed back a little bit from when it was originally intended to come out. I think it was supposed to come out last year, right? Yes. Maybe the end last of last year. year. I think October of, yeah. of last year. And so, I mean, I'm glad they did all the tuning that they, they did to make it what it is. Yeah. Um, and I mean, whenever the new one comes out, I'm sure it'll be, you know, that same amount of heart and emotion put into it as well. Um, do you have anything you want to add in addition on this one? I mean, I, you've seen this movie like four times. Yeah, so. I have.
1: Yeah. In theaters. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm j- I am just really loved it um, enough to, to watch it that many times. Is it your top
0: movie of the year so far?
1: No, it's not. Uh, okay. I think it's number two. Okay. Um, number one, how, how to Blow Up a Pipeline. Also something everyone should watch. Yeah very spider-punk sensibility yeah uh so no it's number it's number two but still definitely up there you know even just among my normal favorites a very very cool excellent movie
0: yeah it's it's awesome um you want to round it up yeah, uh, I think I gave it four and a half. I may have given it five. Let me double check here. Okay, I I gave it four on the first viewing, which is I think what I did with uh, Into the Spider Verse the first time I saw it too. But I'm sure on repeat viewings that has uh, a pretty good chance of coming up a little bit as well.
1: Yeah, but, I have it uh, at four. I have it at four and a half. Okay,
0: yeah, really really excellent movie. Um, mm-hmm. and it's impressive when when you have something that is as successful as Into the Spider Verse was, as acclaimed as beloved uh and then to follow it up with something that is arguably more acclaimed and more beloved than that is uh not an easy thing to do not a lot of uh franchises pull that off
1: yeah i mean this this at least this trilogy is in is in good hands uh i don't know about sony's overall but you know, sure. the creators lord miller you know and the and this uh animation studio that's been doing this um uh are you know doing an excellent job we'll Mm -hmm. see i mean if they did they did use some some uh you know live action elements from the other spider-mans right you know uh donald glover has had a cameo as his version of the prowler so i'm hoping that they don't they self-contain it still yeah yeah it doesn't become Obscured by something like you know becoming something larger yeah. than itself. Well, the
0: way the MCU is going, they're gonna they're gonna try and find a way. You know, I mean, like yeah. they, they need a little bit of a lifeline these well, days. Well,
1: it's weird because th- there's only like a you know tenuous connections between like the MCU and the Sonyverse, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, technically, they're intertwined in a way. We had the Vulture cameo in in Morbius. Um,
0: yeah, and, and it and didn't.
1: Uh, then we had uh you know Toby and and Andrew in in No Way Home
0: um and those there's so- something with Venom too right didn't Venom show up i guess in this at the movie end in of, across the yeah. spider
1: verse so there's a moment where spot is to, traveling different dimensions
0: right no no not even just in this movie i think venom shows up oh, in post credits of a, uh, so, uh, so at the
1: end of carnage the at the end of venom 2 the carnage one yeah. he gets transported to somewhere um he gets pulled into in as the no in home. the events of no way home yeah. yeah and then he gets zapped right back and it doesn't make a difference or t- for anything like he doesn't show up well
0: anymore. no there, there's like some amount of venom or whatever left behind or something right? yeah there's so, a little
1: blurb on the on the yeah bar topic. god <laughs>
0: i hope they don't uh <laughs> you know they yeah. jump well, the shark we have this craven
1: thing. coming out later this year i think with your boy yeah aaron taylor johnson um so yeah sony is trying to do something i mean i don't think they're gonna release or or like relinquish the rights to spider-man anytime soon uh and who knows but so far into the
0: spider-verse across spider-verse yeah you know sort of the crowning jewel of the the genre at the moment yeah All right, zach that is gonna do it for our animation episode this week uh thank you for everyone uh for hanging in there with us as we uh we took a little break here the last month or so uh we are hoping to get cody back soon uh where can the people find us uh as always spinningthereal.com r-e-e-l uh
1: for i don't think there's been a review posted not, there not for a while quite some time yeah even but, longer break there uh i mean it has links to all our episodes and stuff and that's true um check it out uh for how myself, about where they can
0: find you yeah yeah for myself you can find me on Letterbox at painted underscore dog cool i'm at evan d26 and i think cody is at dj Rote r-o-t-e but the o is a zero, zero. i want to yeah, say T E. Yeah. yeah so give us a follow uh give us a, a i don't know what it is on apple a like a review a five-star yeah. rating whatever yeah, yeah uh we would appreciate it and uh we'll see you hopefully next week